Class, we were studying the <clears throat> 47th and the 48th sloka of the second chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. <clears throat> so, the 47th sloka, which we studied quite in details, was Karmanye Bhadi Karaste, Ma Faleshu Kadachana, Ma Karma Fala Heturu. So, in one word that we can translate this entire sloka in the words of Swami Vivekananda as neither seek nor avoid. As for the circumstances of life, we are placed in a particular situation and that also is dependent on our samskaras, or the latent impressions of our mind. And in the, in the past birth, past lives, whatever samskaras we have accrued, that determines our present birth. In Bhagavad Gita, we will find the idea of Swadharma in the later chapters. Swadharma, that as per my samskaras, I am born in a particular situation in life, or even in the modern days, we don't give importance to the caste system. But uh, we will just uh, try to just get rid of the confusion about the caste system. His Varnasrama was not actually based on the birth. It was Guna Karma Vibhaga, even in Bhagavad Gita. Much later, the society got crystallized and caste star meant something as per your birth. The reason was there. Now, as in the present world, if you have an inclination for any profession, there are professional courses. You have the colleges, you have the TAFE courses, the technical institutions are there. You can develop skills in whatever branch you have a tendency for, you have a liking for. But in the olden days, we should remember that there was no technical institutions. There were no such this organized way of having professional education. So naturally, it, it was the one who somehow developed the skills in a particular profession. He will have, he will just pass it on to his own biological children. And that's how the professions got crystallized. It got crystallized into a particular birth because there were no such institutions. The way we have all professional institutions nowadays, we can choose, we can just go and 
get enrolled in a particular profession and then we can develop the skills on that. But in the olden days, we should remember that there was no such professional institutions. So it was guna karma vibhaga, though it is actually guna karma vibhaga, as per your guna, as per your uh, tendencies, as per your skills which you have developed as per the tendencies. So you, uh, you can opt for a profession. But naturally what happened as there were no such institutions, that profession is now being inherited by his children. And that was the best education system because the child from the very birth is exposed to that environment. His education starts even before he starts speaking. Because you know, the child is a great observer and constantly in his mind, the, the wiring and the unwiring of the neurons are going on. Very fast it goes on. The way it learns the language, the way it learns the ways of life, so fast it learns. So many things it's making and unmaking in its mind. And that entire process starts when as a child, he is exposed to his father's way of living, profession. So that way it becomes crystallized. But whatever it is, the main thing is what we say is when we say Swadharma, we can now, if we take this uh, previous birth, reincarnation into account, then obviously what happens in that type of society, the one who is about to incarnate will be incarnating in a family where his tendencies can be nourished. All the tendencies, all the skills which he has developed previously can be nourished. Even in the present age, you will find that there are so many this child prodigies. And they're born in like the good singer. Sometimes we find they're born in a family of musicians. Most probably he has that developed that uh, karma. He has developed those latent impressions in his previous birth. And that one to, that had to be fructified. For that, he was gravitated to that type of family where all his tendencies can easily be nourished. So that way, uh, by birth, also the Swadharma can be justified to a to great extent. So this Swadharma, as per the Swadharma, we are born in a particular family, in a particular situation, in a particular country, in a particular society. And now, whatever responsibilities we have, we neither seek, seek means going to just uh, go on trying for getting involved in something more. In our life, already we have a lot of responsibilities. That again, I don't try to avoid. I have all, as per my past birth, as per my past sanskaras, I have been placed in a particular situations and I have all those capabilities inherent in me. And that's why I have been born in that situation. So I try to uh, manifest all those hidden potentials within me and try to give the best to the society without expecting any result. Why without expecting any result? As in the last class, in details we were trying to discuss that however we may try to enjoy the results of action, know it for certain, the nature has been built in such a way that it will never allow you to enjoy, never. All the so-called happiness which we have 
in our life is nothing but the temptation of the nature to do us something by which it is sustained. It has no intention to really give us happiness. In short, just we can uh, again that discuss that, that all the Asianas, all the desires, what are the desires? All the desires at last can be boiled down to three. In our scriptures, they say three Asianas. What are they? Putraishana, Vittaishana, Lokaishana, or Yeshaishana. Desire for progeny, desire for wealth, and desire for name and fame. And all the three, again, can be boiled down to Putraishana. That unless I sustain myself, I can never have children. And then you may ask them, what about Yasheshana, that name and fame? That also has to do with the putre, this Putreshana. How throughout the animal kingdom, you will find that, that a male lion wants to have its supremacy. It has its own dominion. Within that, it won't allow any other male lion to enter. There will be a violent fight. One will kill other. Why? Why they want to have their prominence, Yesha. That ensures the transmission of his genes. He won't, so everyone wants to continue so that his genes should be getting the chance to propagate so that his lineage continues. So Yesha also has to do with Putreshana. Even in our life, all our education, earning wealth, at last we will find the social structure is such. It all is, becomes a profile for marriage, for getting engaged, having children. That's the basic thing which we cannot define. There are deformities in society, but this basic, this the mainstream is this is the fact. This is the fact which we, so all the Asianas are linked with the propagation of nature. Through the putra, through their progeny, the nature continues. So now you will find a wonderful thing that all the Asianas are there, all these desires are there, which gives us happiness when that Asiana is fulfilled, when the desire is fulfilled, I get happiness. But what's the nature of that happiness? The four things we were discussing in the last class. First, the moment the desire is fulfilled, any creature, any being gets happiness, gets tremendous bliss, there's an ecstasy. The second nature of the happiness, it never stays. Why? If it stays there, the nature cannot be sustained. If after having food once, I'm always in bliss, I won't take food again. And that will result in my annihilation. So the nature has planned in such a way that there shouldn't be that ecstasy always. It immediately it reaches the peak, it has to fall. So it evaporates. Now, our memory is very selective. We are supposed to always remember both the ecstasy as well as the evaporation. But we will find that again, we develop the urge and that urge is motivated by the ecstasy. We always forget the evaporation. In, the, in our life, you will find for any adventurous sense of adventure which you have, it's always the flowery side that comes to my mind. I forget the hardships of it. But when you go for an excursion, so much of hardship, it's invariably when I come back, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. But when I again plan for a, a next excursion, those are the things which never comes to my mind. 
What comes to my mind is all the thrills which we have. <clears throat> and that motivates me. Why nature has made our memory selective? Again, for the same reason. Because it has to motivate me <clears throat> to do the thing by which it is sustained. Everywhere you will find, past is always, they say this, always golden. The past is golden. Most of the time you will find that people will be saying that how nice was my childhood, how nice was my school days. The same reason that our memory is selective. We always remember the positive sides of our life, all the hardships, all the struggles which we have gone through, all the tragedies we have gone through. The memory has that selective uh, role. It will just overshadow it. And that's how the past becomes all the, the glittering moments. They line up all the gaps of the struggles and uh, trials and tribulations that are erased. And all the glittering moments gets lined up to make a sense of continuous happiness. And that makes the past golden. Why the nature has done that? That selective memory, again, for the same reason. So if I am too much aware of the hardships, I will not try. So it always makes me remember only the ecstasy and makes me forget all the hardships, trials, tribulations. And the fourth is, you will find in our life, whenever you are planning for something, there is always happiness in anticipation. But when you are already in it, you have planned for an excursion or for camping, when you are already there, you will find it's already flat. You're not enjoying the way you were, you thought, when you were imagining the way you thought you would be enjoying. It's not happening. It's just a, a flat plateau have reached when you are already in on the act itself. Why it happens? Again, it's a trick of the nature. The nature, once through anticipation, has motivated me to do something. And when I'm doing something, the nature's work is done. It has already motivated me. So it, what's the need for giving happiness? You don't get happiness. So now you understand that why it is being mentioned that in karma you have the right, there is, but you have, you're not entitled for its fruit. The plan of the nature is such. We are fooled life after life. We are chasing after the desires never to be fulfilled. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of shore. It's just like the hedonistic treadmill. We are running with the same place. We go nowhere. It's a hellish treadmill. That's the life. And all the Ashanas ends up there. So we know it for certain. We have been fooled life after life, just in search of happiness from the so-called, the sense of presence of life. It's never, it's always, eluding us. It is always misleading us. It's never going to give us that happiness. Happiness is used by the nature as a lollipop to tempt us some, to do something by which it is sustained. Now the question is, what's the way out? Can I stop my actions immediately? I cannot. My past karma, its impressions will force me to do action. I cannot just stop it immediately. Even if you understand the entire thing, just like a drug addict, a drug addict knows very well what is destroying him. His health is destroyed, 
maybe uh, the death is awaiting very near. We know that the, what, what, uh, into what all this suffering a drug addict goes through. But what happens though he takes mental resolution no more, I won't, I won't resort to it. His addiction forces him. So these are the two things. Once we get addicted, obsessed, your resolution is too weak. It in no way can help you to get rid of the addiction which has developed in you. So we are all in the language of psychology. When we do something repeatedly, we go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they will write in the prescription OCD. It is obsessive compulsive disorder. In spiritual sense, we are all of, we all have this obsessive compulsive disorder. All the likings, if you just find out, it is actually not going to give me any happiness as such. But still we go on doing it because we are all having that disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder. We're doing this throughout the life, we're doing that. So what karma yoga is saying is interesting. That immediately you cannot stop the, this karma. What you have to stop is the sangha, the attachment towards it. Try to develop this attitude that immediately I cannot stop my actions. I have been placed in my life as per the roles and responsibilities. That is also based on my sanskaras. I have to continue. My karma veda, the force behind my action will make me continue. But what I can do, I can switch off the switch of switching off the desire. The desire is the force behind all my action. That sangha, that attachment, that I'm going to get some happiness behind it. Once you understand, you'd remove that desire, try to remove that desire. But you will find your nature is such, you're compelled to do action. Let the action go on and try to remove that sangha, that attachment. And that's the way gradually it will lead to chitta shuddhi, the purification of your mind, ultimately leading to the ultimate emancipation. This is the karma yoga, which has been stressed here. So as the example which we give, that when the fan is revolving, how we stop the fan? It's not by forcefully holding the blades. It will, this, it will injure me. This try to forcefully subjugate my impulses will destroy me. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that if there is a scab over a wound, you try to pull it out, the wound will lacerate. It won't heal. You have to allow the scab to fall off by itself. So what at the most we can do, we can apply some ointment over it and accelerate the process of healing, but we cannot force it out. So all the yogas is like applying the ointment to accelerate the natural process of healing. You cannot just simply forcefully renounce. So karma yoga also is a way. It's it's in developing that yoga karma sukhaushalam in one of the slokas of Bhagavad Gita. That's what is being mentioned. That it is karma yoga is what to doing to do the same actions with dexterity, with a different orientation, with a different uh, motivation. What's the motivation? That as per the circumstance of life, I don't seek anything, neither I avoid. The my samskaras have placed me in this situation. I go on doing it without a sense of 
hankering for the result. That's what speaks of attachment. Attachment is nothing but hankering the results for that action. So these interest me with a sense that I am just the instrument in the hands of the divine. The divine's plan of the, the nature is nothing but the projection of the divine. He has planned the nature in such a way that I have to continue with my karma, which has developed as per my samskara. I cannot still immediately stop it. But as I have, am aware of the nature of the actions, now what I can do constantly, repeatedly, I have to practice this detachment. Try to be detached, not to just always be hankering after the result. Go on doing the action. It should be perfect as I am neither seeking nor avoiding. So it should be performance oriented. I have to do it perfectly because I'm going to offer it to the divine. Anything you offer to the divine, that should be perfect. It shouldn't be stale. If I'm offering a food, a stale food I never offer to the divine. If I'm offering some fruit, it should be the best fruit. So if I'm offering my karma, that should be perfect karma. Skillful it has to be done. Nicely it has to be done. But at the same time, after doing, I don't seek the result out of it. So in all the fields of life, if this is the way we go on doing our karma, then what happens? Spirituality doesn't mean that I will not have any suffering. Most of us resort to spirituality with that idea that I call on God, God will, God will remove my suffering. And at last what happens? Most of the people with that attitude, they will find at last what has happened. Suffering is there, the devotion has gone. Because God is in no way helping me. Maybe there may be some patchworks. I, uh, I asked for some healing and I was healed from some incurable disease. And that gave me an idea that I'm going to enjoy good health eternally. And then we find within a few years, I've developed some disease. And now the prayer is not working. That's what happens. If prayer really worked, then all would have been, uh, no one wants to die. We all would have been eternal beings. And there is so many people fooling us by saying that call on such and such Baba and call such and such thing, wear such and such ring uh, and put such and such mark and you will be cured. Who has been cured forever? Everything is just a patchwork. That spirituality never means all those uh, magics. Spirituality means transcending suffering. What is transcending the suffering? When you're detached, all these ups and downs of life no more touches you. Spirituality doesn't speak of anesthesia, that, you suffer, that, you, that there is suffering but you don't feel it. No, it's nothing like that. It's extreme awareness. You're tremendously aware, but you are detached. What's going on in life, the ups and downs, everything is going on as if that's the way of nature, then in nature everything is flowing. That's why this world is called samsara. Samsarate iti samsara. That which is flowing is samsara. Jagat, same thing. It came from Gamdhatu. It's moving. That which is moving, constantly moving, is Jagat. Nothing is there permanent. Everything is in a flow. And we do the mistake by trying to catch hold of something which is flowing, which we can never do. You can never grab something which is flowing. And that enters in suffering. We get bound because we try to grab. If we can loosen our hold, nothing can bind us. There's the funny uh, one 
video clip I have seen in National Geographic that what that how to catch a monkey. The monkeys like salt. They're in the rocks, the, in the rock, the salts are there. They enjoy the taste of the salt. Not only monkey, many other animals. They lick on the salty rocks. They like it. So to catch them, to lure them, some lumps of salts were kept inside a transparent glass jar, which has this, you know, the, the neck is narrow, the bottleneck, but like a pitcher, the bottom is quite big, spacious. And you can see a salt rock has been kept inside. Now it has been kept in an open space. The monkey comes, some surveillance camera is there to see what it's doing. It inserts its hand, get holds of that salt rock, and now tries to bring it out. Now, as the neck is narrow, it's a bottleneck. So when it is grasping its hand, which is when it just his hand was loose, the hand easily entered. But now with the rock salt, he's grasping, he's clasping onto, clasping onto something. And now he tries to pull out, it doesn't come out. And now he goes on trying and it cannot. The next day morning, these people come and the monkey got strapped because it cannot, without the hands free, without the hands free, he cannot jump, he cannot move because he needs both the hands also to, for his movement. So he is in a pitiable condition, that monkey is in a pitiable condition. But just see the funny side of it. He would have, if the monkey would have just released that rock salt, easily could have brought his hand out. But what it is doing, it will never loosen its hand. It has grasped something which doesn't want to renounce, which doesn't want to leave as he's holding it, and that's how it gets bound. So our condition is, uh, we think we are intelligent. Is it something different from that monkey? No. Our, uh, in our life, we get bound because we are clasping. If you, the moment we can leave that hold, we also can be free. And that's what the Gita is indicating here. That try to leave the hold. And that hold is what it speaks of, it's the attachment. The karma, not the karma. Karma has to go on. You cannot stop it immediately because it has its own past impulse. Just the way when uh, Swami Vivekananda is giving one example. Suppose there are two wheels joined with an axle. And if I ho just hold on to one wheel and cut the axle, the other wheel will go on moving for some time till its past momentum is totally exhausted and then it will stop. So that's how that our ego, sense of ego, our attachment is linked with the karma. Get rid of the ego. What you say that severe, the bond of the ego with the uh, ego and desire with the action. The action has to go on for some time. This I have to severe the bond between these two and then it will stop. So that's the idea which was spoken of in the 47th sloka. That's to work alone, you are entitled never to its fruit. Karmani eva adhikaraste. If you have the total adhikara, you have your entitled, you have the right for work, you have to. Ma faleshu, ma is in the sense of negation. Faleshu kadasha, never you have your entitled to enjoy the results. Ma karma fail, fala hetu 
इंट्रोडक्शन Now let's proceed to the next mantra, next sloka. So in the forty-eighth sloka, before going, we will just from the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, we will take three lines. In one place, Sri Ramakrishna is saying very interesting thing: "Karmo akebari tak karbar jone." Just there is no way you can renounce action in one go. "Karmo akebari tak karbar." कर्म त्यागने का कोई उपाय नहीं है कर्म कर्म एकेचमेंट उटनी Desire. So that's the idea which will be spoken of in the forty-eighth sloka. From the forty-eight, forty-nine, fifty. In this fifth sloka, we will find there are three words. The word kripanata will come. That kripana means one is miserly. We are miserly because how? Because there is a hidden potentiality in us to be happy, to enjoy bliss in life, to have spiritual evolution. We, it is we ourselves who don't uh, manifest that potentiality. Who is a miser? Who has wealth but he doesn't know how to use it? We, as a human being, do have the wealth to enjoy that spiritual bliss, but we are kripana. Why we are kripana? We are miserly because we have no intention to utilize that hidden potential and to have the sense of fulfillment in this life. So how from kripanata? I can through the process of kushalata, kushalata means skill. I can enjoy the bliss which is hidden potentially within me. So that's what will be discussed in the 40, from 48 to the 50th sloka. So let's go to the 48th sloka. Yogastha kuru karmani sangam tyaktwa dhananjaya siddhya siddhyo samuhutwa. समत्वम योग उच्चते योगस्थ बीइंग एस्टैब्लिश्ड इन योग योगस्थ मींस बीइंग एस्टैब्लिश्ड इन योग गुरु कर्मान डू योर एक्शंस परफॉर्म योर एक्शंस संगम त्यक्तो कास्टिंग ऑफ ऑल द अटैचमेंट सो डू योर एक्शंस एस्टैब्लिश्ड इन योग कास्टिंग ऑफ Renouncing the attachment, sangam tyakto. Sangam is the attachment. Tyakto means renouncing. Siddhya siddhyo. It it is a sandhi. If you break it, it means siddhi asiddhyo asiddhi. Siddhi asiddhi means 
don't be too much bothered about success city success a city's failure so remaining even minded both in success and failure siddhi asiddhi siddhi siddhayo i mean so that yo means the doer whenever there is something two things has been spoken of together that uh, it will become siddhayo siddhi siddhayo siddhi siddhayo so these are has this is uh, what you say that uh, um, it speaks of the plurality in uh, when we are speaking of two so siddhi asiddhi together when success and failure Take take them in even minded my even mindedness samo bhutva be even minded in success and failure and that alone is ego in this yoga samat this samatvam this even mindedness mindedness in success and failure is yoga so this is the meaning of the sloka yoga means the state of being an instrument. How can that even-mindedness be developed? That if in all the situations of life, I can attain this, have that attitude that I am just the instrument in the hand of the divine. The divine has made me his instrument, made me his instrument to do particular actions. It's not that everything I am doing. I am placed in a situation of life in which I have to do some particular action, for which. Lord has placed me and made me His instrument based on the past samskaras. He has placed me there, and He is using me to take care of those responsibilities. So I do not have any hankering for the result naturally. It can become the instrument. It is the Lord who is working through me. That in every field of life, for any work, why we are working? That after it is for the welfare of the society. Welfare for my near and dear ones. Why I think of others out there? Because there is some love, compassion in me, some sense of altruism in me. Without that, there cannot be any work. All the work at last enters in altruism, compassion, love, kindness. The entire society is bound by that. The father, the mother, loving the children is because of that love which is in which. Is something ingrained in their heart. If there was no love, they would have never felt the duty to really take care of the children. That love, but can anyone say that love is something which he has built up? No one. When seeing a beggar, if anyone feels like giving a few pies, he thinks that I develop love. I am such a nice person. That compassion, as seeing that uh, a person in distress, compassion wells up in me. Is it something we culture really culture? If you really think, no. We are built in such a way that the compassion is bound to well up. Altruism is in our genes. We may say, but there are so many selfish wing. Only that compassion is misdirected. There is too much self-love, but love is there. That he loves himself so much that overpowers the love for other beings. But there is love. Without love, even you cannot be selfish. To be selfish, you have to love yourself. So love is something which gets misdirected, which makes you selfish. But it is the same love which is in already implanted in your heart, which is speaking of 
all the acts, all the actions, all the responsibilities which we have to doing. So it is already implanted in my heart by the divine to take care of his creation. So as for the situation of life, I take care of my responsibilities. And if I'm the instrument in his hand, the instrument is not going to enjoy the results of action. A pain never says that I'm the author of so many books. It is the author. Pain never gets the credit. So I am just the pain in the hands of the divine. So naturally, there is no question of enjoying the fruits of action. So this is what which is being uh, defined as uh, the way of Nishkama Karma Yoga in Bhagavad Gita. Someone says just to do actions disinterestedly, it speaks of a type of uh, what you say that uh, as if there is no emotion involved. Actually, here the emotion is involved. The emotion is here nothing but devotion to the Lord. You have a devotion to the Lord. It is not that you are a hard-hearted person, just uh, like an agnostic, you are doing the actions uh, that I have to do something. I'm doing this interestedly, and there is no, uh, what you say, that in any way I'm going to get the results out of it. It speaks of a very dry heart. Bhagavad Gita never speaks Karma Yoga in the sense of that, from the sense of agnostic. It speaks of this Nishkama Karma being united with the Lord. Yoga is with the Lord. That I am instrument in the hand of God. I am totally devoted to Him. What he makes me do, I am doing. And that also as per the tendencies and all the samskaras which I have developed as per my past actions. So that's how we are doing the action. That even not to please the Lord, but neither to please the world, neither to please the Lord. Ishwarupi me tushyatu iti sangam tyakto. Because sometimes we will find that just to please the Lord I am doing that. Again, that subtle desire is there. The Lord will be pleased and he will bestow me blessings. He, uh, blessings may come in the form of worldly desires that I will have no problems in life and all uh, there won't be any uh, problems in life. There won't be any hurdles in life. So that's why I'm trying to please God. So no, not even to please God. Just I am his instrument in his hand and whatever is making me do, I'm doing, and that also by using all my faculties to the best of my ability to do it perfectly. So it is performance oriented, not result oriented. And once it is done, then Siddhya Siddhya I'm not bothered about. Why you shouldn't be bothered about? Because you know, in our life, the more the more I am. I, I evolve, the more I evolve, the more difficult responsibilities will be on me. There's no way out. The more, even in your company, if you find that uh, you have developed uh, that goodwill, with the goodwill comes more work. At first you thought, I will keep my work limited. And you will find the society has started accepting, the farm where you're working is accepting more and more from you. So as you develop your skills, the more responsibilities will be entitled on you. Now the paradigm of this the standpoint of Siddhi Siddhi totally changes. 
just say you have ordinary cough and cold you go to your gp he gives you a medicine and in two days it is cured so the gp is successful but now you have a someone has a cancer you have a cancer and you go to the oncologist with all his knowledge he does give you some comfort but after all it is not healed will you say he is a failure as per his responsibility as as he is a skilled he got specialized he was a gp most probably got specialized and now he is an oncologist the society has placed him in a position which entails more responsibility naturally the challenges are more so the question of a gp success cannot be anyway equated with the failure of the oncologist so the success and failure is a relative term they are very relative even in our life you find that you are placed in a situation where you have to deal with the hurdles of life in a way where mistrustly that it doesn't entail in success but that doesn't mean that you are a person of less capability your responsibility has kept in such a position where the challenges are much much difficult that just i will give an example a very highly specialized doctor has an autistic child i have listened to that interview and he took it positively how how he took it that this autistic child if he had some parents who has no knowledge about this condition he wouldn't have got the total care he is that is it's a blessing that he is being born as my child i can take more care of him so instead of just see it is a question of orientation for most of us by default we would have thought it's a curse on me that my life has been made hell that now that with, with, with this children so much of means i love the child it's not that i don't like the child but so much of hardships i have to go through why why we ask god why 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 but if we just change the orientation the thing becomes totally different god has chosen me because of my capability to take care of his creation that this child needs that care and he has bestowed that responsibility upon me the thing which was making me suffer which used to make me suffer will now just with this total change of attitude you will take it as a sadhana with full faith devotion that as it's a responsibility bestowed by the divine upon you so siddhi asiddhi yes this is the thing is so relative term we need not be bothered about what the certificate the society is giving me the good bad all the stickers the society is putting on me i know very well that it is the divine who has kept me in the situation i do the actions to the best of my capability success failure that's also is his he knows i don't bother about them so that's what speaks of siddhi asiddhi but that you have an even mindedness for that if you have no attachment behind it there is no question of thinking of the results both become same to you but again not with a sense of that that an agnostic that i have to be just hard hearted no with a change of orientation that god has kept me in such a situation which is a challenging situation most probably he thinks that it is me who can take care of this heavy responsibility and that's why he has kept me in this situation and i do it to the best of my capacity 
the success failure all is his as the cha challenges are more of course i cannot equate the success here with the ordinary challenges some with someone else is facing where god has most probably felt that he is yet to evolve just the way when you go to the gym the just on the first day seeing someone lifting a heavy weight i cannot think i do it in this in the first day i have to develop the capacity as i develop the capacity the weights are increased similarly in our life knowing for certain the more i become capable the more the weights will be increased it has to be spiritual life again and again we comfort we confuse with the comfort zone that i don't want responsibilities i want to meditate after all you are just trying to resort to the comfort zone in bhagavad gita again and again they speak of three gunatita going beyond the three gunas for most of us spirituality is not triguna not trigunatita it is attachment to sattva by meditation the bliss i enjoy that's a very higher type of enjoyment compared to an ordinary sensual enjoyment but that also is an attachment if you get attached to that that also will entail in births after births i will be taking birth just to enjoy the bliss of that meditation by forsaking the responsibilities that will not entail in mukti and when i am coming down to this world know it for certain however good karmas i may have karma has two the in two ways the karmas uh, fructify in our life personal karma and the collective karma it's not only my personal karma that entails my destiny the collective karma also plays a role just to say give an example that i have developed the skills of good driving and with that i every day go out for a ride with the full confidence i know very there's no is no chance for accident for me because i am a good driver but what about others fault someone may just simply come and crash on your car by not following the traffic rules what mistake have you done we forget the collective aspect so with all our good karma sometimes we think that i have been born in a good family i have uh, what you say that uh, cultured good habits so i am not afraid of rebirth i will be born in a good family with good sanskaras i will enjoy the life what's the harm in it we forget we are in a road of traffic where the unpredictable factor of others collective action which i cannot avoid so the moment i am born life is unpredictable the moment i am in the road the probability of accident is higher than than, than you are sitting in your home so it's always if you have to avoid accidents you have to be out of the road you have to get your home act road with all my skills still i can form my accident is a collective karma can act on me that's the thing we never understand of karma when there is a train accident we say that did all the uh, people who were sitting in the train had that uh, what is it, all bad karmas and they were all sitting together that's how many people will be reasoning but that's not the thing maybe the karmas of all those persons were quite good but what about the collective karma where just the mistake of the system the signaling system or whatever can enter in the danger of all in spite of good karmas of all the people so that's what we have to take into account when we think that we will take birth in good uh, what you say that uh, with good sanskaras with sattvic sanskaras and meditate life is so unpredictable 
no one can guarantee you that with that everything will be right. You can be in Ukraine meditating and there will be a war and your meditation is gone. What can you do with that situation? So that's why they say Tribunatita, that this world can never be a solution. In spiritual sense, this world is a dog's curly tail. You can never make straighten it. You can never create a heaven out of this earth. It is going to continue with all its complications. I still remember when I was in, I went to India, someone asked, said, now you're in Australia, how is the society? No, but it's perfect society. Everything neat and clean. The sparks are so nice. The roads are clean. The buildings are well maintained. The society is so nicely structured. Anywhere you go for uh, any type of you get facilities, all the systems are so efficient. You get all the uh, things you need. It's so nicely, there's no hindrance as it. And when I come to India, everything is in chaos. And now the question was, you say Vedanta is the highest philosophy. With Vedanta philosophy, this is the society we got. And with the so-called the Western philosophy, that's the society we got. Now, how can you say this is the highest philosophy? So we told you know, that said, actually what's, it's not the question of highest, it's a question of orientation. You go to the, all the Abrahamic religions, it's very interesting. But at last, the final goal is going to heaven. What is heaven? It is this world which is perfect. Means all the imperfections has been removed. All the perfect things which we can think of in this life, that is imagined as heaven. As heaven is all the pleasures minus all the sufferings. All the good things minus all the evil. That's the heaven. And in Vedanta, what's the idea of ultimate mukti? It's beyond good and evil. It's not perfections minus the imperfections. Now, as a result, what happens? You know, this very interesting thing that when you make your heaven something which is all good minus the bad, that's the orientation which you have in your day-to-day -day life. I want to make a society where everything is good, and all the bads has been removed. Apparently, we do make it. And that's what the West has been trying. But really, have we got rid of the evils? So it becomes a nice package where we find we are all mental wreck, suffering, and it all speaks of propaganda. In so many cases, you will find it's a propaganda. Within our heart, all those evil thoughts are there. We are speaking of peace, but within us, the seeds of war is always there. There are so many organizations which is there to take care of peace, but peace is never there. I still remember the words of Holy Mother after the First World War, when someone went and asked, informed her that the UN has been formed, the World Peacekeeping One Organization has been formed, so that there is no war in future. Holy Mother, with no so-called academic knowledge, immediate reply was, is it something which is coming from their heart or is it just a lip service? It was a mukher kotha. Just see, the world still continues with all those barbarism, continues, still continuing. It never stops. So do we really, the apparent goodness is just something, just the surface. It's just, as Swami Vivekananda used to say, it is just like trying to 
covered the corpse, a dead body with flowers. For some time with the smell of the flowers you get, but in no time, the corpse, the decomposition, the smell of the decomposed corpse come out, make this, all the flowers are also gone. So that's what with all this trying to make this world as the heaven will happen. In Vedanta it is beyond good and evil. You can never have only good minus the evil. So to transcend both. That's why that there was no attempt in any uh, in the previous ages also. Now, because of the Western influence, India is also trying to make a very perfect society. But the general trend was that this Sansatutin Kalme Hai this is not there. After all, it is not going to be with me. It was not there in the past. When I become Mukta, it is not going to be there. So I just take care of the responsibilities in, in what you say, in a very casual way. And that's the result of the society which we get. But again, both have done the mistake. I can never make heaven or in this earth. That's true. That is also a mistake. And again, in the last sloka we read, neither seek nor avoid. We have avoided the responsibilities for thousands of years to end up with that type of civilization where everything seems to be chaos. Because this world, after all, we have to transcend. But how to transcend? The means is through perfection you have to transcend. Atmana mokshatham jagatitayacha. You try to get liberated, but not at the cost of jagathit. Because that's the process by when I'm trying to, uh, what you say, develop all the skills to make the society perfect with the orientation. What's the orientation? Not to make the society perfect. However, I try. In some way or other, the evil will manifest in it. I can never be that this, I should be very, very sure about it. Then what will, that will not make me fanatic. All the fanaticism comes when you think that I can straighten the dog's cardinal. All the fanaticism comes from there. You can never do that. Get rid of the fanaticism. I can never straighten it. Is going to be there, but it's a way out. It's an exercise I'm doing to get rid of the force of my past action by doing the things perfectly without desire. That's the kushalata. That's the kushalata. So this is the thing which in yoga we have to understand that yogastha kul karmani sangam kyatwa. The how to become yogastha? Yogastha, yoga means union. So here, what's the union? You're getting united with the will of the Lord. Ishwar, that I am the instrument in his hand. That makes you yogastha. Means you are established in yoga. That is possible when, how is possible? That as I am instrument in the hands of the divine. So there is no question of being attached to the results. The instrument can never think of enjoying the results of action. I'm just doing to the best of my capability as the instrument is meant for. Each and every instrument is meant for a particular action. I am also an instrument. With that instrument, whatever action is meant for, I do it perfectly. And the results, I offer it to the divine. That I do not seek the results. So Sangam Tiyatva. Dhananjaya Siddhi Asiddhi Samogutva, Siddha Siddhayo Samogutva. This Samatvam, this even mindedness that you develop with this type of attitude, that is yoga. So these slokas are very, very important, significant, because many things, Karma Yoga is something which speaks of something like a psychopath 
has no emotions, just doing the things uh, without any emotion. It's not a psychopath. But emotions has been transmuted. It has been sublimated so as to link only with the divine. If I have to love, I love only the divine. Because I, we all want to love something which is permanent. If I know something is going to be there, why should I love it? I know it is not going to be there. I should love something which is everlasting. So my everlasting relationship is with the Lord. Everything else is a flow. Why that flow is there? It's a, there for exercise. It's the gymnasium. It's not the pleasure garden. We mistake by taking the world to be the pleasure garden. It's actually the gymnasium where we have came to make ourselves strong. Use that as a gymnasium and grow in wisdom so that I can remain ever established in my union with the divine. This world, that way can be transcended. Not forcefully I can transcend it. I cannot, but most of the time that we throw the baby along with the turgid water in the bathtub, that we want to get rid of the uh, dirty water of the bathtub. So we forgot that child is still there. I just throw the water along with the child. To cure your headache, you cannot cut your own head. So sometimes karma yoga, we uh, mean uh, mistakenly that way, that to get rid of the effects of karma, I have to get stop the karma. You cannot get rid of headache by cutting your head. So that's the thing which each and every sloka is indicating to. So the 49th and the 50th sloka we will take up again in the next class to just see how from this step, where Bhagavan is speaking that you have to uh, renounce the desire and action and go to that even-mindedness. So how that even-mindedness has to be developed, that he will still further illustrate in the 49th and in the 50th sloka. So we will take up the slokas again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.